Welcome, welcome, world. It is Monday, 6 p.m. on a Monday on the East Coast of the United States of America, which means it is time for Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Malcolm, Another Money Monday. Another Money Monday. What's going on, man? How you feeling? Doing good, man. Not bad for a Monday, I guess. Absolutely. Another great show. Um, Of course, you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money, where we trade in bullet point personal finance advice for casual casual pop culturally relevant conversations about money. Um, What's going on with you this week? Anything special? So I worked out for the first time yesterday in probably a year at least. Are you getting a uh, first time in a year? At least. Like so I run. Okay. And I play basketball, but okay. I don't lift any weights. <laughs> so yesterday, for whatever reason, started out on leg day. Okay. And I'm barely sitting up right at this. Leg day is never something you want to start with. <sighs> Tell me about it. Are you getting ready for summer? No, I just We're no. inspired. I was inspired. I was having a good weekend, I guess. That's pretty hilarious. Um, On Thursday, I'm going to Greece. That sounds fun. Sounds expensive, too. It's very expensive. And I actually want to make it clear that this is a very financially irresponsible trip for me. (laughs) Why? Who are you making that clear to? I'm just making it clear to the world, to our listeners, that this is not some, oh, Ben's doing some so amazingly he's going to Greece. This is a very financially irresponsible trip that I'm going on. But I'm going on it anyway because life is too short to be lived Tentatively. So you're like the doctor that binge eats French fries and has gout. But yes. still gives out medical advice. Really, actually, the thing that I never told you, Malcolm, is manager damn money is really just a cathartic release for me. <laughs> where I get to release all my anxieties and fears about money on a weekly basis. Got That's it. what this is. That's okay. what you signed up for. Uh, so anyway, of course, we want to remind you that uh, you're watching and listening to Manage Your Damn Money. Um, and today's conversation uh, at hand, we're talking about millennials starting a business and what it takes to make it in a crowded or capital intense industry. Um, so really, that means like what it takes to become an entrepreneur, especially in spaces where it takes a lot of money to sustain as an entrepreneur right. or it has like really high cost of like startup cost. Um, those are the kinds of things that we're looking at today. Um, we have a wonderful guest, a friend of the show and a friend of mine. Uh, Mr. Chris Coy, he's the president of Play at Coy Sports. He is a sports agent and recently became one of the uh, youngest player or player representatives or sports agents um, to have at least five players in the NFL. Um, Which is saying a lot because the NFL PA is a bully. Like, <laughs> I, I, I can say that from like personal experience. Uh-huh. The NFL PA is a bully as far as new entrants are concerned. So okay. Like that's a bigger feat than it probably sounds like. Absolutely. And the NFL PA is the people who manage um, the who can be an agent and who cannot be an agent. Right. Who uh, can do business with their players at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. But before we move on to the uh, conversation at hand, we want to remind folks that as we do every week, the first thing we do is headlines. It never gets old. And the uh, headline for this week, or the story we pulled for this week, um, this he- the headline read, Millennials are, incre- Millennials are increasingly looking for jobs in these mid-sized cities. Um, this was a Fortune.com piece um, from September of 2016 by Kia Kokolicheva. <laughs> That reported that millennials are seeing less value in moving to major cities like New York, San Francisco. um, What would be like, like, I guess maybe L.A. would be uh, batched in there. D.C. 
DC is kind of like a it's becoming a big city. You're big right city. Um, the article reported on data from LinkedIn, which showed that millennials are showing growing interest in moving to mid-sized cities. Um, and they actually did this by like looking at how people or how millennials specifically are searching for jobs on the platform. Right. So like if you search for a job in Austin, Texas, that was like how they figured out what the level of interest was. Um, and the city's getting the biggest bump in job searches from millennials. Uh, Austin, Texas, um, was the number one mid-sized city that was getting job search activity um and then after austin it was uh raleigh durham north carolina area which you're familiar with um and then also uh detroit michigan cleveland akron ohio and then charlotte north carolina overall millennials interest in jobs in those cities has grown 25 percent um over their interest in larger cities according to linkedin um and then actually that that's like people perspectively looking at jobs the places where i understood it that people were actually moving to actually uh reside uh that are small to mid-sized cities was seattle portland and denver no places i'd want to (laughs) live nothing in that whole entire thing jumped out like okay i I mean i'm selective right there's only Uh like three or four places i'd consider moving to right um so i'm probably the worst example of you know if you guys who watch the show haven't figured it out i'm the guy who hates like everything (laughs) so but but why why is it that like millennials are moving away from like so the, the the biggest thing i have a big problem with i'll start it with this um living in the city right right uh my buddy uh nate shout out to nate was talking about how when he moved to new york he had that terrible song concrete jungle where dreams are made of well alicia keys and jay-z okay. the new new york i guess it's called right you don't like the song I'm guessing. it's not the song it's the message behind the song it's crap why because new york is high rent Okay. It's uh You knew that before you got there. You knew that before you got there, but it presents this like real interesting picture of what it's like to live in New York when actually it's a lot more difficult to actually make a way and make a living in New York City. I think that's the whole point of the song though. I think it's like supposed to like be empowering. Like, yeah, you can make it in New York. No, I think it's if you can make it in New York where it's terrible, <laughs> you can make it anywhere. Like I, that's that's what I got from it. Like I, I had breakfast with Jay Z and he said no, I'm lying. But like, <laughs> like that's the whole thing I got from the the. Well, then I clearly misinterpreted what the uh, song was saying. Uh, but I feel like New York specifically. I don't think any other city. Only way I can say that about LA is because of traffic. Um, but New York specifically is definitely overhyped, um, and I think. That could be a reason why millennials are like, man, I'm not doing that. I'm about to go move over here in this place where I can pay $500 for rent for month per month. I can't blame them. Like right? you've heard me say in my frustrations how like looking for a place in DC, uh, every time you look online, how home prices have gone up like $25,000. It makes you just say, forget it. I'm going to move to the suburbs. Now I mean the suburbs of DC, like <laughs> Maryland, Northern Virginia, somewhere that kind uh-huh. of thing. Not. Akron, Ohio, or like some of these other places on the list. Austin, Texas will never see me as a resident. (laughs) These places, I'm sure, are fine places to live and raise a family. I'll let you tell me about it. I have a running tally of all the places you could never pay me enough money to move to, and Texas is on that list. You have a running tab of Mississippi, South Carolina. Like, I'm, I'm, how much? Let's just go ahead and disrespect the rest of the United States of America. Okay, what, what, who else so on your list? Alabama, <laughs> Georgia, like I'm, uh, all these are places that like I don't care who I work for and how much they tell me we'd love you to go work for our location in one of these places. It's not happening, right? right so right. I mean, I, I get it. it. It probably 
it's more sensible when you look at it dollars and cents wise right. to say I'm going to go move to a place where my dollar goes a little further right. like Raleigh Durham like you said and that kind of stuff right. but then again you also have to consider what quality of life are you going to have living in these places before you go to them absolutely are people going to be willing to come visit you in Jackson Mississippi <laughs> are people going to be willing to come visit you in Akron Ohio right. is LeBron retiring and moving to Akron and going, yeah, then maybe I'll come visit you like to come to his basketball camp but otherwise like you know what are you getting in exchange for this lower cost cost of living? Right, absolutely. That's definitely a consideration. Do you think uh, companies, because I know specifically North Carolina, a lot of companies, like big companies, have talked about moving headquarters to North Carolina. Right. Um, you know, which is another one of those up-and-coming kind of mid-sized cities. Do you think... I think it's kind of up by now, like Charlotte specifically. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is you're naming like the na all the different cities, the major hubs of whatever they are. Uh -huh. They're different hubs for different industries. So like mm -hmm. Charlotte has become like its own de facto Wall Street right. in the sense that large banks have moved down there for cheap rent and right. cheap labor. Right. But now because so many people have moved there, wages are actually fairly competitive in right. those places. Like you, you'd look at a salary for a job in D.C., for a company and then look at that same job in Charlotte. It's about the same. It's almost the same thing. Right. Okay. It's not quite New York money, but right. it's almost the same thing as what it would be to live in Charlotte. Do you think how much of it too, um, as, as pertains to millennials and before we go to a, a quick break, um, how much do you think it's millennials kind of shunning the typical, or I, I suppose, I, I know I got the message that like you go get a degree and then you move to a bigger ish city mm -hmm. to get the, you know, bigger -ish paying, salary mm -hmm. um is it is it that millennials are kind of moving away from the idea that you have to live in a big city to make a good living well you i think we're moving away from the fact that you need to live in a big city to be able to physically go to work every day oh wow. so i can i can live in the suburbs or live in a little bit more quote-unquote remote part of town right because i work from anywhere right everywhere has a starbucks i can open my laptop <laughs> and be at work you know and it, it doesn't matter what city you're in so Absolutely. if it's austin texas or seattle or whatever right it's equally as good as being in you know new york city or dc or san francisco or whatever else because remotely who cares right teleworking is definitely be impacting uh, the way that we do business and whatnot. Um, but we're going to take a real quick break. We want to remind folks that you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. And today's conversation at hand, um, we're talking about millennials starting a business and how to make it in capital intense industries. Uh, pretty soon, later on the show, we're going to be talking to uh, our guest, Mr. Chris Coy, who is the president of Play at Coy Sports. He's a sports agent, and we're going to talk to him about how he um, has kind of made it in a space that's really tough to break into. And we're going to talk through some of the things that uh, typically happen for you in order for someone to be successful in that way. Um, so we're going to take a real quick break. You're listening, watching Manage Your Damn Money. We will be right back.
We are back here on Manage Your Damn Money with myself, Ben, and my co-host, Malcolm. Uh, another wonderful day to be talking about money. Um, and in this particular episode, uh, we're covering kind of a difficult topic to explain, I guess, relatively speaking. No? I, I don't think so. Okay, so we're talking about how to break into really tough industries, especially industries that cost a lot of money. I think it's one thing if you're a business owner and you have like a, if you paint or if you're like a singer and you like right. make music, um, those are things that are, you know, you buy your equipment and things you need and you're pretty much done. Uh, but there's also questions about like, what if the businesses that you want to get into has, requires like a lot of money to get into it. Right. So it's tough to break into and it's tough to find your first customer, your Absolutely. first client. Um, because the people you're competing against have multi-billion dollar budgets right. and they can spend whatever it takes to make sure that, you know, they don't see any competition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so entrepreneurship on many levels has become a buzzword for millennials and the millennial generation. Literally everyone has a side hustle, creative endeavor or something that they are creating and hopefully selling to someone. But beyond the cosmetic trends of Instagram entrepreneurship, which we've right. talked about often, uh, what are the numbers saying about millennials and how millennials go about starting businesses what does it take to get started what's driving the attitudes millennials have towards starting a business or side hustle and what are the tried and true strategies to breaking through in tough or established industries um, and in preparing for this piece um, we looked at a, a story from february 2016 titled millennialpreneurs so they kind of like mix two different words there People love coming up with <laughs> catchy <laughs> phrases for m millennial generation right anytime i see a story that starts with millennial i just go skip like, <laughs> right it's gonna be terrible so this was millennialpreneurs uh are starting more businesses and targeting higher profits again this was a february 2016 story from uh, fortune.com by molly Patri patria or patrilla patria um, which explored a BNP Paribus Global Entrepreneur Report, which found millennials are outpacing the previous generation and how and when they start to, you know, look to start their business. Right. Um, so the, the article actually uh, reported on a survey findings from 2,600 quote unquote high and ultra high net worth individuals from 18 countries that suggest 20 to 35 year olds are starting more companies managing bigger staff and targeting higher profits than their baby baby boomer predecessor predecessors right. um score one for millennials score another one for millennials um so according to the findings millennials are discovering entrepreneurship significantly earlier than boomers did while the older generation launched their first business at roughly 35 years old so-called millennialpreneurs are setting out around 27. Do you, I feel like that's definitely on point with what I've seen just in my life. Yeah, I, I, 20, 27 seems even kind of like late to me. Right. Like it seems to me like you folk, you meet folks who are like 23, 24, uh -huh. graduate from college, spend a year like looking for a job. Right. And they go, ah, I got it. I'll right. start my own. Right. Absolutely. And and definitely um, the fact that we have like the technology. I think that's the biggest. The biggest thing. Like you can like go on one of those legal, I'm thinking about legal Zoom. Uh, you can do the different mechanisms of starting a business kind of re relatively easily now. Whereas before it was probably a huge process. You had to like hire a lawyer um, back before the internet was really a thing like it is now. Well, not only that, think about how you used to have to have office space. Oh, yeah. For people to take you seriously. Mm -hmm. Now you can have somebody come meet you at a shared co-working space right. and they think you're the coolest thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you it's can legit. have somebody come meet you at a coffee shop for right. a business meeting and right. they 
think you know it's just the normal so think about how much that brings your overhead down absolutely have to spend three four thousand dollars a month on rent right, right out the gate um so then that you know that helps uh, tremendously it's definitely a lower bar to entry in terms of uh, starting a business of some kind uh this report also found that millennials have started twice as many companies as boomers um and as we mentioned uh a lot of that has to do with the low bar of entry due to technology and services as well as this was interesting a greater openness to failure okay so millennials are actually not as hesitant about failing as the boomer generation was right because if you're not failing you're not trying if you're not failing you're not trying do you think it's like what why do you think that is that and this the story actually went on to say that uh, baby boomers see or you see or used to see failure as a stop in the career whereas millennials don't view uh business failure as career failure or inhibiting career inhibiting uh some might say it's even career enriching to have like gone through some kind of entrepreneurial process and not been totally successful um you learn a lot i mean I, so as somebody who hasn't had a salary job in my entire adult life like you learn a lot more i think when you have to figure it out on the cut of a dime right that you normally would have a little bit more cushion and a little bit more time to kind of figure it out right if you had you know that salary behind you but then also like i, I can speak for myself my perspective is that salary job slash normal will right. always be there Right. right. Like it's always going to be right there around the corner when you want to go find it. Right? right. So why not take a shot or two or three or five? Right. Like Mark Cuban <laughs> brags about the fact that he was fired from seven jobs before he started his own company. Like, right. And then his first startup failed. Right. And now the guy's one of the richest people in, in the world and, and, and owns a, a basketball team. Right. So, like, you know, if there's something first, can be said for that. Right. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. In, uh, interesting thought. Uh, I wonder about this, though, sometimes when it comes to, like, the previous generation and the millennial generation, the difference between how millennials see entrepreneurship a lot mm-hmm. of times. We talk about people who have, like, Instagram hustles and whatnot. But and, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I mean it in the sense of they can actually do something that brings them money on the side right. via Instagram and social media platforms and still work a full-time job. Right. And it's a lot more fluid whether you're, like, full-time employee or if you're a side hustler on the weekends, like it's kind of, Risa Renee talked about this, like having different jobs and whatnot. Whereas the previous generation, it was just like, you did one thing. Right. And that was it. Um, so it's like, what does that say about our our process or thought process that it's kind of fluid going back and forth between like so regular think, jobs and like being an entrepreneur? Think about how you grew up spending your free time as a kid versus how I'm going to assume your dad and your mom did. Okay. Lay that so out for me. On a Saturday morning, when you were a kid and you got up and you watched cartoons and and ate your cereal, right? You were just watching cartoons at that time, right? Right. You fast forward ten years; those kids are watching cartoons, eating their cereal, Snapchatting with their friends, uh, you know, sending emails to who God knows who, <laughs> buying stuff on their parents' iPad from uh-huh. Amazon and, and everything else, right. and you're interacting with seven things mul- simultaneously, right? And like keeping all of that flowing. So that kind of translates into your skills as an adult when it comes to managing three or four different business ventures all at the same time, because you're used to multitasking and keeping all these different things up in the air at the same time from the time you're like six. Right. So I think that's good training. Like a lot of times people complain about the fact that kids attention is not easy to bring into like one thing. Right. But it's good training for being able to run three companies simultaneously. So, so actually condescending baby boomers, we are well trained in the art of 
managing multiple tasks and that's why we have so many different things going on that's an interesting uh take on it um and we actually looked up a different story uh to kind of get at the heart of that idea of upending or getting into a space that's really difficult to get into um the story that we pulled was millennials up in traditional madison avenue advertising practices um one of the biggest challenges as we know to starting and sustaining any kind of business is breaking through keeping and growing your customer base mm -hmm. but how do you do this for more traditional industries with established and well-funded uh players um so we looked at this 2016 article by jack lochner um which looked at how millennials digital consumption trends to your point are upending how big companies and ad, ad agencies reach audiences right um and the study reported or the study reported a survey of 500 us-based small and medium-sized businesses about their digital mobile marketing strategies and tactics um and the survey found that millennials spend 58 percent of their marketing budget on digital me media so these are like millennials who are in control of budgets mm -hmm. while baby boomers only spend 14 percent of their marketing budget on digital media making millennials three times more likely than baby boomers to spend the majority of their media budget on digital advertising. So we're going straight to the source. We're going straight to the source, absolutely. Straight to the, it's no like back end or like, what am I saying? Well, so here's what's interesting though. It's millennial created platforms that are allowing more millennials to get to these customers. Ah. Like Facebook was created by a millennial. Absolutely. Snapchat, Instagram, all those other pieces Absolutely. were created by millennials for millennials who right. are now leveraging those platforms to right. be able to do business better. And that's the primary way that people, especially now, understand of how to get into any kind of business at all is you have to have your digital presence. You have to or you don't exist. Or you don't exist. Like, And you know, it's another interesting trend. There's this particular uh, guy on Instagram and all the like social media platforms uh he does like this magic editing stuff his name is zach king and zach king does not have a website okay he has a youtube he has an instagram he has a, you know everything else you can have social media wise he does not have a website like when you type in his name there's no website that pops up and i know that baby boomers would be like oh my gosh well that's just terrible you know what? I'm kind of a hybrid. The old man in me would be like, <laughs> I can't trust this guy. He doesn't have a website. You have a website? Who doesn't have a website? Who doesn't have a website? Right. So I think you need both, personally. Because, you know, because then you alienate an entire group of people who would be your customers that are used to coming and finding your website to find out about you. That's true. That's There's true. links to your YouTube videos or your Instagram page. <laughs> but, like, you know, let me choose how I come find you. Mark, I'm such an old man. Uh <laughs> Of course, we want to remind folks that you are listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money. Uh, we also want to let you guys know that you can watch us um, on TV now. Uh, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, you can catch us on uh, Monday nights at 10. Mondays at 10 on uh, Montgomery Community Media, and that's in the local D.C. area, Channel 21, I believe. Uh, and then you can also listen to old episodes of uh, Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Simply search Manage Your Damn Money. Um, but we're going to take a real quick break in a moment. Um, but again, to frame up the conversation for who, for our guest, Chris Coy, sports mm -hmm. agent, um, we're talking about how millennials are kind of upending really in industries that are really tough to get into. Right, because we talk we, we talk all the time about folks who can jump into an industry like media, for right. example. Everybody's got a social media manager of some sort, and that job right. is almost created specifically for a millennial. But then if you think about folks that work in more traditional worlds like accounting or finance or legal or right. you know, those kind of things those are really hard to start your own shop especially right out the gate i was gonna say that's a good list are there any others you can think of off the top of your head that I just are gave like you for like five i'm trying to think of some i can't think of any 
now I'm, that was good though. Now you're trying to make me think about no, it. I'm sorry. That was, that was a real tough. good. That was a real good li- list though. Um, but we're gonna take a really quick b- break. But when we come back, uh, we'll have Chris Coy on, uh, president and principal sports agent at Play It Coy Sports Agency, and we'll talk to him about how he got into doing the business that he's in. Uh, the NFL draft is coming up. It's on Thursday, so we'll talk a little bit about that, um, and then also how he's been able to maintain his business throughout over the years and grow it, and how he's been successful. So uh, stay tuned. You're listening, watching, manage your damn money with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back. We are back here on Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, and we are joined in the middle by uh, Mr. Chris Coy. Chris Coy is a sports agent based in the Washington, D.C. slash maybe Atlanta area, um, and you're an NFL sports agent. Yes, that is true. That is true, huh? Yes, that is true. Absolutely. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? What is it, trial? I don't know. It sounds like it. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. You excited? The, your, the draft is coming up, the NFL draft. You're, you're an NFL agent specifically right now, right? Yes. Okay, so tell us a little bit about Play at Coy and your sports agency and what you do. So I'm a sports agent. I started my agency in 2012, so we've been on operation for about five years. Uh, we have six clients in the NFL, um, and then we have a draft class of about five guys coming up this past, this not com- upcoming year. Um, and we're just kind of get, just getting started in the business. I identify that I want to be a sports agent at a very early age. So I tell people all the time I got a 15-year head start because I identify that I want to be a sports agent at 14. Um, so I was able to position myself and put myself around the right people and shake the right hands and here I am today. How'd you come up? How'd you come across the idea that you wanted to be a sports agent at what was it, 14? Yes. Um, so what happened was up until that point, I wanted to be Deion Sanders. Oh, right, I'm right, not too right. coordinated, as most of my friends would tell you, aka you. Um, so needless to say, um, the idea of being a professional athlete went out the window at a very early age. I went to high school like four foot eleven. I think I was like 96 pounds, soaking wet. So needless, wow. like you know, the idea of me being a sport, my idea of me being a f- football player had a harsh reality at my first practice. Um, <laughs> when everyone else was a lot bigger than me, it was just like you know I had to find a way to still tickle my fancy of you know being around the business side or I guess the NFL I guess. Okay. I don't know. We had a, a, a player as you know on the show uh, a few shows back, and Ben told us that he could have been in the NFL. And made some tackles, so you know. Honestly, I'm I, like I've seen a couple players in person. I'm like, you playing NFL? Like, 
size wise. Now, granted, true, I'm size. a lot smaller than even the smallest NFL players. This is true. <laughs> However, I have—I actually have a client this year that uh, I'm bigger than in terms. Of I like, think I saw a picture of that. Yes, he's—he's he's about five ten or uh, five, probably about five nine, uh, but he's lightning fast. Okay. I didn't I, listen. I was uncoordinated and small. You can even, you got, if you're gonna be small, you got to be coordinated and fast Fair and enough. that kind of stuff. So that's the aspect of it. That's okay. The issue. I think that the main thing that we talked about before was that tackling was just the main. main Major problem for me. Oh yeah, yeah. You were like Deion Sanders. You probably just didn't tackle. Yeah, <laughs> it was like my thing. Like I don't tackle, and everybody knew it. Um, play football in LA. Two hand touch. Two hand touch. Absolutely. Um, so getting back on focus a little bit. Um, talk about the steps that you took, and maybe a little bit earlier on in your career, because you were a sports agent, but you also did some other things, and how those two things intertwined to become um, what eventually became your sports agent, play at, play at core sports. Okay, I come from a religious background, so the idea of me, I had a goal, and I had a dream, and this was my dream, and my life, the, the steps that, that I've, I've, I guess I've taken up to this point have led me into that, into my ultimate goal. So I guess coming out of high school, I went to Shaw University and ended up transferring to Hampton for the purposes of I wanted to be in a sports management major, and I could be around, you know, I guess sports management per se. While I was there, three or four guys got drafted. Um, and what helped me with that is I was able to help them through their process, meet different agents and learn the process from there, and then also intern for an agent at the same time. So while that was all going on, um, I was learning a lot through that. Um, and then I went and realized that you had to have a post-secondary degree in order to be an agent. So I went to decided to go to Georgetown. And while I was at Georgetown, there was a lockout. And while there was a lockout, they weren't certifying any new agents. So as a result, I ended up going and working in banking because I found out that 78% of athletes broke, unemployed, you know, have financial duress after their careers are over. So I figured if I could teach, if I could learn about, I guess, banking and finance, it would, you know, kind of go hand in hand with the sports agent side of it. And, you know, it all came together in that sense. And that particular one bank, it's called PNC Bank. I met my business partner, my first client, and my athlete advisor. So that, ain't, to wow. me, is not just, you know, anything that I did particularly. It's the man upstairs leading me to the right direction. Absolutely. So one thing that I heard you say in that whole process is that you were deliberate in everything that you did leading up to where you are now. Absolutely. So sure. I think that has a little bit uh, that needs to be repeated just because we talk about like for the fact that students uh, going from high school to college right now mm -hmm. are thinking about what they want to major in. And then we think about the burden of student loan debt and how it, you know, it kind of kills you when you can't figure out what you want to do coming out of school <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But one way I think that you just made me think about that helps to alleviate some of that or, or completely get it out of there is knowing exactly why you're going to school knowing exactly what it is that you want to do and i don't mean necessarily you know exactly what company you want to work for if mm -hmm. you, want to, you want to you know exactly who you're going to sign as your first client which we'll get into in a second but more so just you have a plan every day when you get up out of the bed that you know what you're driving toward Absolutely. so i think that's a very important point from what you just said to make sure that we kind of reiterate with our our uh, viewers but on that point can you talk about a little bit getting started as, you know, a newbie in the industry, a very young guy in the industry? How do you build credibility? How do you go find your new, your first customer? 
Um, so like I said, while working in that bank, I was able to identify. So I worked in a wealthy area. I worked in a wealthy banking area, and I well, I, I got it, got to realize that this is a very expensive business. <laughs> um, as far as an agent is concerned, you're investing typically thirty to fifty thousand dollars into each player. Wow. Um, before you even see any type of investment, before you see any type of return. Um, so with that being said, it's a very capital-driven business. So with me, you know, like you were talking about student loans, and that's why I laughed and looked at Ben because you know me, I, coming out of undergrad, I had a decent amount of student loans and I was never afraid of taking out the extra loan to do what I need to do because to me I always knew that in my heart I was going to be a sports agent there was nothing there was nothing that could ever tell me I had professors and teachers and tell me all them types of you know there's so many different reasons you know so many agents are out there that don't have any clients but for me I had a direct focus on I absolutely wanted to be a sports agent so it, it, it didn't matter for me what I had to go through in order to get there but back to what I was saying while working in that banking I I met different people and I would tell everyone that I wanted to be sports agent because this is a networking you know knowing the right people mm-hmm. um so i would literally tell everyone from the trash man to the lady <laughs> that came in and deposited six hundred thousand dollars into her bank right and um and basically you know i, t- I tell everyone and i told one guy who happened to be the cousin of a professor at my university and he ended up taking me to lunch and he ended up becoming a financial advisor or the financial that's what his thought process was that he was going to be a financial advisor for my clients and you know and he liked me and then he introduced me to this person that person and that's how i became that's they became my board of advisors Mm -hmm. and he invested into my agency and then we kind of went on from there and you know we went on and kind of yeah i guess that's how we got started and then while working in that same bank i met the mother of a kid who had just got kicked out of school and i met him and got a chance to see him and talk to him and I could see that there was something raging inside of him. He just needed a little bit of direction. Yeah. So I helped him and mentored him to getting to where he was at to get transferred. And he became my first client. Good for you. So man. I literally walked him through. So he got kicked out of the University of Maryland, then transferred to the University of Delaware, then ended up being my first client who went to the combine who we just did a multi-year deal for with the Broncos. Oh, so wow. it's literally all throughout that bank. So me and Karaya Siles, the manager of that bank, she's she's been my biggest supporter in addition <laughs> to my parents because there's a lot to go on because while doing my business i had you know my other side business right so you talked a little bit about um the process and how the the start of the business talk to me about a little bit specifically about what it took to break through in like you said an industry that you know you just told us how you got client number one Mm -hmm. um just what what did it take to get breakthrough in an industry that's really tough to get into one because it's very expensive yeah um number two it's cost intensive to actually keep and maintain clients and to get clients across that finish line of actually signing an nfl contract so so what are some key things like top level things uh that you felt like helped you guys break through um i think persistence i think the idea is that like i talked to you earlier about this like you're investing players not to bring it back to the financial but it is a financial show to kind of compare it to a mutual fund that first year zach wasn't our only client we had five guys that particular year two of the three of the guys actually made it to the nfl two are still in the nfl until this day so it took a lot of trial and error so i had to try multiple places or multiple people to you know be able to get the necessary clients that actually stick in the nfl like he mentioned that he went to a school that produced a lot of nfl talent but how many guys stayed in and got second contracts and are still in it up at this point. So realistically, it was for me, the biggest thing was to kind of not put all my eggs in one basket when it came to client-wise, if that makes sense. Okay. So you recently found out that uh, you're one of the youngest NFL agents to have at least five. You have six active players now who are signed to current contracts. Um, And that's before the draft. So after the draft, draft. I was 
Right on. After the draft, you should be like 25. <laughs> <laughs> listen, no, listen. I'm on your side, man. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, the goal is to get there, but I mean, right now, it's it's after the draft, we have five guys going in this year, so mm-hmm. we should have about 11, 12 okay. guys in the league. So you talked about persistence. What's two other things that you feel like people need to bring to the table when they're trying to break through in a really tough industry? Um, I think the... Uh, to a certain extent, I'm like people always talk about me personally, and I'm ADD, right? I'm all over the place in that sense. But in a in a lot of ways, that has helped me because there are going to be people that are out there that have told you what you can't do or you can't do this because of that or whatever the case may be. I'm ADD to that, so I don't really <laughs> listen to them and I stay focused. I've always been a very driven person when it came to my career. Right. Like my friends will tell me in other aspects of life, maybe not, but my career, <laughs> I've always been very focused on being right. a sports agent. So I think determined. Termination um, is, is a big thing. Um, and I think identifying mentors and other people that have kind of, not necessarily mentors, but other people that have been successful in that agency. Like I read all the Drew Rosenhaus books. I read about everything that said agent on it. I mean, all the agents on the in general, just learning from different people right. to kind of get to where you're at. Right. So uh, it's interesting that you brought up Drew Rosenhaus because the first time you and I met, that's something I thought about. Who is Drew? Who is Drew Rosenhaus? So Drew Rosenhaus first of all, is one of the more the more popular sports agents in the NFL. He's rep some really big names for sure. But the reason I keep talking about him is because he kind of had the same model as what you're talking about. He's a guy who identified very early on that he was not the athlete. For he sure. was not going to be anybody's number one draft pick, number two, round six, round six. He wasn't even Mr. Irrelevant. Right. Sure. So he looked at that and said, I'm going to make sure that I surround myself with the guys who will be in those uh, first round, second round, third round drafts. Sure. And I'm going to make sure that I befriend them as early on as I possibly can, yeah. let them know what my vision is for my life and get them to buy in as soon as I possibly can. So he went to University of Miami. We all know a lot of football talent came out of the University sure. of Miami in the 80s. And he has had some very big, prominent uh, folks along the way. So it sounds like, like I said, and, and being deliberate, um, you've done a pretty good job of that yourself. But another piece is the networking. Absolutely. So you built your network a long time down the road before you needed it. How important is networking to you now from the standpoint of you being in business, being a little more established? How has your approach changed? So my networking aspect of it, now I know that I'm able to identify talent. I can identify it from my point of view. Like I can look at a player and see his highlight team and think, hey, this kid can play. Mm-hmm. Now I have relationships with general managers and scouts that can confirm that this kid can play or where he's ranked and where you think his upside is. Right. So I, so this, you know, this past year, all the clients I signed this past year, I sent all of them to get a scouting report from a guy who, who's an assistant general manager who's in between jobs right now. Right. So just having those relationships and networking and kind of putting myself out there and, and going to different events and rubbing shoulders with the right people um, in a very interesting industry because like I told someone before, as far as this business is concerned, there are a lot of grown men that hate on you in a sense because it's like you're kind of coming in as a new guy right. who has a relationship that's a little bit more genuine with the players because right. you can identify them on a more personal basis. So it's very interesting. Like last year, I was at the Senior Bowl with a couple of my clients, and it was like grown men, like from a, from like grown black men, like scowling at me from the way. It was weird. <laughs> it was the most weird conversation because you would think they would help me, but to a certain extent, I understand because just like I'm the young kid who can kind of come out after you in a sense and it was just weird to me um so from that standpoint i think networking is very much so key um but identifying you know who the who the people are that are the decision makers for your particular business and the sports agent business is a lot different than a lot of 
other side right, business. Right, right, right. Um, talk to me about, go back a little bit in the story, um, like initially after you started Play at Coy, the sports agency, um, how, because you, you know, I know your story in terms of how you moved back and forth um, between the banking industry yeah. and being a sports agent. You're a sports agent at, at the literally the same time as banking. The, as banking. Sure. Talk to me about how the fluid nature of your entrepreneurial efforts um, between working full time and then also working uh, at, you know, as a sports agent independently and how you've gone back and forth between those things and why it was important to be able to do that. Me personally, my only work was while I was working at the bank. Being a sports agent to me really isn't a job. Um, for me personally, I've always been passionate about this. This is my living a dream. I tell people all the time. So I try to help my clients identify what they would do for free because they've got a head start in life, the NFL. It stands for not for long. You have a very small <laughs> window that can help you make as much money as possible, but build as many connections as possible. So for me, I found something that I'm truly passionate about. So it was never really a time where it was like, oh, well, I got to work this job and then still drive to Delaware to see Zach play or go to William & Mary and see Jerome play. It was more of, I got to get out of this job so I can get there on time because right. I've always wanted to do that. So it's just, I, it's been an innate drive in me um, that I've just, you know, continue to focus on. And, and in that sense, I just kind of push towards it. And, right. and like you, like he talked about, or you think you brought up Mark Cuban being, um, you know, being fired from his, listen, I've been fired from a couple banks, <laughs> but I continue to keep relationships at the ones that I needed to, right. but I had to, because there were times where I was at a football game or one of my clients wanted me to stay a little bit longer and I had to be to work the next Monday and I had to make a decision. So I called in sick. Right. But at that point in time, I identified that, you know, I was hoping that my agency work out and it absolutely did. Right. In that sense. Talk to me a little bit specifically about, uh, the importance in your mind of having worked those jobs and the way that it's contributed to the success success of your business currently. So that idea of me going to work in banking taught me a lot about financial education. Financial education is typically taught through your 20s, through trial and error. Right. And athletes have that same problem, trial and error. They're messing up hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. For me, those working at those jobs, I learned about personal finances from working in banking, right. but also working those jobs made made my drive so like now that i have an investor and you know I, not that i didn't have investors before but now I'm a full investor meet my drive mm -hmm. to not go back to the bank because that's the <laughs> that's the fear the fear is the agency doesn't work what experience do you got you can go back to selling bank you can go back to the bank and and i and you know not to applaud somebody that works at a bank or not you know going against someone that works at a bank but i don't want to go back to the bank right. so if anything it brought fire to me uh -huh. then it did anything negatively okay okay so Last question. I know you're working back. <laughs> Last question I have before you uh, before we kick you off this stage for insulting my age. Uh, <laughs> um, you mentioned you, you started down the road a little bit uh, talking about what, what I would call your unique selling proposition, which I think you absolutely have to have if you're going to be kind of the guy on the outside that's trying to take on the Goliath, if you will. For sure. So you were talking for a second about the fact that you focus from day one on what your guys are going to do after they're no longer in the league. For sure. Can you talk a little bit about like how having that unique selling proposition of life after sports has helped you land, you know, that one key client or helped you, you know, to kick down a door a little bit um, that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to get into? I mean, I, that's always been our thought process. Play at Koi is actually a, D, a DBA. Our company is called Life After Sports, doing mm -hmm. business as Play at Koi Sports. So 
for us, it's always been about the the essential life after aspect of it. So for me, that's what I go in talking about. So I think identifying that I care about you as an individual, not as a football player. Right. What you can make me from a revenue standpoint is second to my mentorship of a young man that I can have and happen to impact his life in that direction. So for me, at the end of the day, if you, if you want to break down what it is I like about the agency business, it's not about negotiating contracts, not about standing on fields, watching football. Football is cool. That I love that. That's second. But where the core is, is I like the mentorship young of the young men that I can impact their lives, that they can go on and impact other people's lives. So for me, it's always been a lot life after. And I know that a lot of them just struggle from different things, from like lack of finances, lack of, you know, job opportunities. So for me, able to kind of channel what I what I'm passionate about mentoring mm -hmm. and helping them and giving them directions and pointing them in, in the right direction. For me, that was always important to me as an agent. Okay. Um, and real quick, um, if if someone's exploring entrepreneurship or a side hustle in a space that's really capital intensive, like we talked about, like sports agency is, um, like starting a legal firm might be, or other industries that are really tough to break into with your own thing, um, what would be like some key things that you think are important that person do to really start taking steps towards breaking through in that industry, that it, whatever it might be? Um, I think that, so for me personally, as an, app, as an, as an agent, the, the thing is you pay for the player you play for his training, housing, that kind of stuff. That's the that's the cost effect, cost side of it. Right. But if you have the relationship with the player, I could potentially. I know agents that have taken taken players to agencies and said, "Listen, I have the relationship. You have the money. Right. You know, you have to kind of be creative uh, in that sense." So it's it's the what do you have? What do you bring to the table? So you don't have the money, right. but you can relate to this player. Wow. You can trust his mom. You can you know get his mom to trust you. Um, and then a lot of times you kind of don't necessarily have much leverage. Um, with the agency because they have the money and at the end of the day money a lot of times helps helps agency wise right um, but I think if you can kind of just be creative with different ways to kind of get behind the money I mean there's different type of you know I think there's like different ways on the internet you can raise money and right. family and friends right and then um, kind of identifying at a very early or not a very early age but what your what your goal is and what your passionate about and I think right. that a lot of people when you talk to people about what they want to do they're all over the place right and I was always I want to be a sports agent and nothing else right so absolutely absolutely so focus and um making sure that you're creative about how you're doing the business side that's excellent stuff where can people learn more about Chris Coy and his work um you can go to my website playcoy.com I'm one of the cool people that do have websites <laughs> <laughs> my my uh, investors are a nice guy but uh needless to say you can also check me out on instagram i guess that's kind of corny um but i mean what's your, what's your handle what's your c corny underscore coy c um, underscore coy i've okay, never right. met anybody that was too cool for for instagram no it's not but i just i just think that it's like you know hey check me out on you know those websites and stuff like yeah. that's just not me i'm not i'm not that guy that's yeah, just right. not who i am i typically build my relationships through networking not necessarily through you saw my instagram page very good very good uh on that note uh we are going to go to a really quick break, but uh, we want to remind you that you're listening, watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. We want to thank Mr. Chris Coy, sports agent. No problem, uh, good no luck with the draft and whatnot. Thank you very much. And we will be right back. All right. Sounds good.
Welcome back to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Another really information-packed episode. Yeah. That was that was all good stuff, and I'm excited about the draft on Thursday myself. So that was kind of just like a primer. Are Are you planning uh, on watching the NFL draft? I will at least watch the first round, okay? Um, like the rest of America, and then if I don't have anything to do on Friday, I might check out some of the rest of it. It'll be on in the background as you vacuum. Basically, yeah. You're giving me a lot of credit, assuming I vacuum. But yes, I <laughs> I will spend Friday and and. Not Saturday, because that's when you get too deep into it to to make any sense. Um, but I hope my Cowboys do the right thing uh, this offseason. They've had a really good draft class the last couple of years, and okay. so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Okay. Malcolm's excited about the NFL draft. Very good. Well, uh, we want to remind folks how they can watch and listen. Manage your damn money. You can always catch us here on listenvisionlive.com uh, on Mondays at 6 p.m. And then you can catch us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash manage your damn money. And you could also find us on iTunes. You can yes. listen to any old episodes that are awesome and wonderful and ready for your listening pleasure at any time. Uh, just search manage your damn money on the iTunes podcast platform. I think they just changed the name to Apple podcast interestingly enough that's fine the, the, the icon on the app is the same it's the same so it doesn't really mean much to us uh and you can send in your questions comments concerns kudos to info at manager uh don't bother sending us uh your negative criticisms because i'm just going to report it as spam absolutely absolutely and if you need any other information from us you can always visit visit us at manager uh and remind you that you can follow us in corny fashion <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter at MYDM1. At Malcolm on Money. Excellent, excellent. And until next time, uh, we'll see you later. And until then, be good with your money. Peace. Peace. <laughs>